They get it off. McCaffrey, right side, big seam, cut, 30. McCaffrey! Touchdown, San Francisco! <laughs> they are an explosive run team. You see Savage, he comes down, he's unblocked. McCaffrey makes one man miss. <laughs> Love the time again. High throw, and it's picked off! Dre Greenlaw has it. Cutting back. Greenlaw still on his feet. And that was taken down. And there's the big play. The Niners get on defense. McCaffrey. McCaffrey scores. 49ers in front. Love. Pressure up the middle. Runs away. Throws across his body. And that is picked. 49ers have it. Greenlaw. <laughs> still up. He needs to get down. Greenlaw still on his feet. He's got to go down. He's go down and the go game's down. over. <laughs> Feel better? Yeah, we can't yeah. beat them. So, so you might laugh at them when they lose them in the they... divisional round. Yes. In a rebuilding year. No one says it makes any sense. <laughs> no, no one says that it makes any sense. I told you though that love's a bust. Yeah. See I that? Know. See that interception? Both of them. The yeah. other one was was like quintessential first eight games of the season or first seven games of the season. Jordan Love, inaccurate yeah. ball gets tipped into the hands of a 49er defender. And I know I'm insane. I mean, he what a year he had. Oh. Uh, and uh, Greg Olson was shouting exactly what Shanahan was shouting because Shanahan said, "Yeah, Shanahan said that he was going to go and tackle him. Yeah, uh, do run out into the field and, and tackle Greenlaw, but." Um, he finally got down, and uh, Greg Olson did a great job with uh, Kevin Burkhart, as usual. That's why he's the best uh, analyst in the game. He's also our buddy, our pal, and he joins us right now on the Car X Tire and Auto Hotline. He is former Bears tight end Greg Olson. What's going on, Greg? How you feeling? Doing well, guys. What's happening? Oh, well, a lot. I mean, that, did that deliver or not? I mean, starting with the game that you guys had yeah. and going through Sunday, that was just an outstanding football weekend. Man, I'll tell you, and, and we've, been, we've been waiting for it. You know, we, we had kind of a, an abnormal regular season. You know, in, you know, the NFL, which prides itself on having so much parity in every, game, every week, seems like every game is so close. For whatever reason, we are crew. We had a bunch of... We had a bunch of one-sided games, and, and we don't know exactly why. It was just kind of luck of the draw. But And then, obviously, the wild card round with Dallas and Green Bay, that turned into a bit of a one-sided match pretty early again. So we were excited for a close one. We, we had a feeling it would be a pretty competitive, balanced game. We, we thought Green Bay was pretty good going into it. You know, obviously, San Francisco, we all know how good they are and the types of guys they got. So we got the game we all hoped for, and uh, – Man, it came down to the wire, and that, that's about as fun of a game to call just because you can just live in the moment. Every play seems like it's the, the biggest play of the game, and obviously we got the best seat in the house to, to cover it. So that, that, was a, that was a heck of a weekend all across the league, and, and obviously our game was near the top. I got to say, Greg, I thought for the first 45 minutes, to me, sitting on my couch, I didn't have the seat you had, but, <laughs> but I, I thought there was – there was no doubt to me that the, the, the Packers were the better football team for the first 45 minutes. Did anything surprise you about how things unfolded? 
Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I think through three quarters, I, I don't think San Francisco came out necessarily very sharp. And I think in a lot of ways, Green Bay picked up right where they left off against Dallas. Right? They take the ball you know, against Dallas. They decide they win the toss. They take the ball. They go down. They jump up 7 nothing. This game was a little different. They took the ball, went down, ended up going 3 nothing. Really, the difference was the first couple of series, I mean, San Francisco never really stopped them. They did a nice job. We talked about how important the red zone defense was going to be really for both teams because to just count on going three and out, three and out, you know, maybe a first down or two punt. We didn't think there'd be a ton of punts, and, and really early in the game there wasn't. It was really it came down to red zone stops, especially for the San Francisco defense. But the the part that over the last two weeks I think we learned the most about Green Bay was for as fun as their offense is, and Jordan Love, I, I know the Chicago Bears fans don't want to hear it, but the guy's a flat-out player. Yeah. Um, Matt LaFleur did a heck of a job getting that group better. They're young. That story's been well-documented, but their defense, which at times this year did not look great, when it mattered the most, their defense came through, and, and, and I think that was the part going into both of the playoff games we did with them that we weren't quite sure how that was going to play out. And to their credit, their defense played well. I thought in the fourth quarter – San Francisco played better than Green Bay. I think for as much as Green Bay outplayed them through three, they needed to not drop pick sixes. They needed to convert on fourth and a foot. That Green Bay needed to put a little bit more distance in front of San Francisco going into the fourth. And obviously it didn't turn out to be enough. And San Francisco made the drive that mattered. And, uh, that was the difference of the game. Greg, uh, I don't know if you guys had the Packers earlier in the year. I'm assuming you probably did when Jordan Love wasn't the guy that we saw the last 10 games of the season. And, and usually accuracy is not something that, at least in the middle of the season, a quarterback can really improve on. But what was it about Jordan Love, at, about what was it? I don't know if it was the Pittsburgh game or it was the Chargers game and about the middle of November going forward that just it clicked for him in that offense. Yeah, so we had week one. We had his week one debut in Chicago against you guys. And um, we came out of there thinking he was pretty good. I think at the time we were – I think Chicago's defense was by no means as good as they were at the end of the season. I, I, I got to give credit to Eberflus and that crew. That The defense we saw in week one and the defense that they ended with, you know, towards the back stretch when they started playing better ball and started kind of coming alive – it got significantly better. Some of the new free agent guys started picking it up. They obviously made the, tra- the trade with Washington for Montez Sweat, which paid off. So it wasn't the defense. We weren't sure exactly how good Chicago's defense was week one, but we came away pretty impressed with Jordan. And then it was really, to your point, that midseason lull, kind of the, the first seven, eight games of the season. I think they were like three and five or three and six or whatever it was. And then it, the light switch went on. They, they started getting hot, and we didn't see him again until Thanksgiving, and they went in and, and beat Detroit pretty handily you know, in, in Detroit um, on Thanksgiving morning. So that was, that was the two times we saw him in the regular season. Then, of course, we saw him you know, in the playoffs. But his ability to throw the ball downfield and accurate, I agree with you. It, it's very uncommon to see that sort of improvement midseason. I think you got to give Jordan Love a ton of credit. I think you got to give Matt LaFleur a ton of credit. Um, you know, I think a lot of it is maybe just some of those young receivers started to get better, started to understand where they were supposed to be, landmarks and targets. So, at, like anything, there's always a lot of a lot of you know reasons why. But I think the the number one reason is Jordan Love. From everything we've learned about them and studied about them over the last couple of weeks, is 
he's that kind of kid. He learns from his mistakes. He's every day is a day of development. And Matt Lafleur has done a great job fostering that environment, and he's done a nice job taking advantage of it. Greg Olson joining us. It's Waddle and Sylvie on ESPN One Thousand. So, Greg, and, and you know how I feel. I'm, I'm very desperate to, to have the Bears get a quarterback who's great and to have a, a Bears team that's in the same class as Green Bay and, and now Detroit. Um, we came this close, this close to having the Packers play the Lions in the NFC Championship game. For the Bears to join that crew, and I know you're not a draft expert and you haven't studied Caleb Williams, but... For the Bears to get into that conversation and and to have the Bears in this playoffs next year is the the best way to go to keep Justin and and trade the pick and to get a haul or to draft a, a Caleb Williams and and then go from there. Yeah, I, I think it, it, it's such an interesting position. For, for Poles and Eberflus and the whole you know front office, because let, let you back up a second, right? When they made that trade last year with Carolina, I don't think anybody from either side anticipated Carolina winning two games hmm. and having the number one overall pick. So I don't even think it was in the, the realm of possibilities that they ever imagined they'd be number one again after trading out of the one last year, right? So if Carolina wins, you know, three, four more games, and they're picking seventh or eighth, there is no conversation, right? Justin Fields is the quarterback because, you know, unless you take the guy at one or two, you're probably not going to pick one at seven in this year's draft that you're going to say, okay, he automatically becomes our franchise guy. It seems like it's going to be top-heavy. And then, you know, the next crop of guys you'll take at the end of the first round, beginning of the second, and those guys, if you strike on, great. But you're not, like, setting your hopes up. Okay, if I take Drake May, if I take Caleb Williams, they're my guy in day one. So now here they are sitting in this situation saying, okay, are we able to pass up? And I don't think this is a reflection on Justin at all. I, I've really enjoyed watching him. I think he's gotten a lot better. Obviously, he's a heck of an athlete and dynamic. The question becomes, are you willing and able to pass on a number one overall pick, presumably a quarterback, two years in a row, and really what it comes down to is if you just assume that Caleb Williams or Drake May, whoever it is, is not an upgrade over you know, over, over what you have now in Justin, let's just say they're even. The tie goes to starting the quarterback's clock over, and I think there's a big difference between that and just completely disrespecting Justin and saying, okay, he's not the quarterback. If they were picking eighth overall, this conversation wouldn't exist. This is a very unique situation just because of how bad Carolina was that opened up a possibility and a pathway that I don't think anybody could have ever predicted. And when you can start a quarterback's clock over and you can now sign him to a four-year deal for, I don't know what it is now, $25 million total or $30 million total, whatever the number is before you get to the fifth-year option, it's just very hard to pass on that number because you can spread a quarterback a, – a, Second-tier quarterbacks going to make thirty-five, forty million dollars. You can spend a lot. You can get your roster a lot better in a lot of other ways with that money. I think that's the dilemma they're facing. I don't necessarily think it's they view one of these guys as this like unbelievable upgrade over Justin. I think simply it comes down to we're a year a year away from having to pay Justin, and if he plays really well, we know the number that comes with it. And if he doesn't play well next year, we're back to square one. Is it a like? I understand what you're saying about the the clock, and I'm a, I'm a big fan of that. But if it is even, like, 
isn't another tiebreaker trading down and improving your roster by getting, say, Marvin Harrison Jr. at three and more draft capital and then keeping Justin that way. So, yes, his salary may go up, but instead of getting more cap savings to improve your roster, you're now improving your roster by more draft equity, and you get you get Marvin Harrison Jr. You get a couple more picks by simply trading down. Yeah, and I think it's a valid argument. I, I, I completely understand, but there, you can't compare the value both in price and impact on the team of a quarterback to any other position on the field. It's just not the same. They take up the most cap space. They have the most impact on wins and losses. And I just think they're – and listen, I'm not sitting here saying it's a foregone conclusion. If I was in that seat with polls and I was – and they gave me and they said, hey, you have to make this decision, I'm not sure I would 100% just like unequivocally say, okay, this is the only move. I understand the other side of the argument that you just presented – I just think to pass up on a number one overall quarterback two years in a row, albeit you know last year, you know would it have been Stroud or Bryce? I don't know if anyone can honestly answer that question. It's a lot easier to answer now, you know, with the seasons and the way everything went on. But that's besides the point. It, I just, it's hard for me to say. Okay, I got four years going forward. Where now, if I ha- I have to give Montez Sweat an extension, I want to continue to improve my defense like we did last year, getting Tremaine Edmonds and getting T.J. Edwards. I can pay those contracts. I can maybe get a free agent wide receiver to go along with D.J. Moore because I'm paying my quarterback peanuts, right? So the question becomes, when you look around the NFL, there's two models of success over long periods of time. There's capturing an elite roster around a rookie, young, cheap quarterback, and you ride that and you maximize not paying $50 million a year to your quarterback, and you're the San Francisco 49ers. Right, And then the other side of that coin is you have Patrick Mahomes. You have this guy that he can take up as much of a percentage of the, of the cap as possible. He can make up for roster deficiencies. He can make up for this young wide receiver score he's had to kind of drag along the whole season and somehow end up in the championship game again. Like Certain guys can overcome it. There's very few in the middle of the pack. Right? There's very few guys who fall into that middle tier over a long period of time. And I think that's the challenge these front offices are saying with how expensive quarterbacks get. And all of a sudden, you find yourself paying $40 million, you know, even if it's not Mahomes. You pay $40 million to your quarterback. He better be able to make up for holes because you're not going to be able to put that whole roster together like you could if your quarterback was on a rookie deal. You just There's not enough money. Greg, I, I think we all agree that there was significant progress made by Justin this year. And I think you know we saw that highlighted in the Atlanta game and then – Towards the end of the year, I even thought the Green Bay game, the, the final game of the season, it really wasn't Justin Fields being bad was the reason why their offense couldn't do things. Their line was a problem. But but if, in fact, Greg, they decide to move forward with Justin, what does that offense have to look like to help him thrive? Is it something where you are cutting the field in half or moving the pocket more frequently? Or do you believe with better coaching and better players around him that maybe he can get up to speed and thrive in a system maybe like Shane Waldron would run that will mimic something that you see with the Rams or the 49ers or the Packers or somewhere else? That To me, that is the only offense. And I'm, this isn't even just about Justin. If you ask me, all right, you're going to run an offense, Olsen, you don't know who your quarterback is. You don't know who you, you don't know anything about your team. But I, you need to pick right now what system you're going to run. It is not a coincidence that Brock Purdy and Jordan Love 
and C.J. Stroud and all these young quarterbacks that in a very short amount of time have really grown into real-deal dudes, right? They, they didn't have a real – I mean, C.J. Stroud had no transition. I mean, he, he was great for, as a rookie. Jordan Love, yes, he sat behind Rodgers for years. First time stepping on the field this year. Brock Purdy, this was his first full season. He took over last year in like week 14. For them to have the success they did, it is not a coincidence they're all playing in the same system. Tua, down in Miami, same system. To me, that is the system that every young quarterback could benefit from. So if they do stick with Justin, I think it's a good sign that they brought in Shane Waldron. Obviously, he comes from that McVay background. He did a little bit of it. You saw sprinkles of it in Seattle. Sometimes the personnel and whatnot, the philosophy doesn't exactly allow him to like do it to the nth degree. If he comes in and he runs that system at its truest form, what we've seen out of San Francisco, what we saw all year, Matt LaFleur probably ran it the most pure of any of the coaches around the league, right? Shanahan's evolved a little bit because Purdy's got some things out of gun that he's good at and down in Miami. McDaniels has altered it just because of Tua and those wide receivers, and he's put his spin on it, but the floor system, what he ran, I think a guy like Justin getting him under center, getting him on the move, getting him boots, getting him easy throws, take some pressure off the offensive line that you're not just sitting back there and shotgun all day saying, hey, rush the passer. I think that system protects the quarterback and the offensive line better than any system in the league. And Detroit this weekend with Ben Johnson, same, you know, right. same idea, same philosophy. It's not a coincidence the teams that have success offensively are all in essence under the same tree but greg isn't it also predicated on getting the ball out quick as well and throwing with anticipation and throwing to spots and throwing guys open and i guess the question i've just and i and i agree with you and i think it's great insight that some of that stuff getting him under center would take pressure off of him but if you were devising a system for justin based on how you've seen him play do you think that they can get to the top of the mountain with that system with him in it you know, I, I think it's hard to guarantee that any of these guys, right, if you would ask me, hey, can Josh Allen get to the top of the mountain, I would have said yes five years ago, right. and he hasn't. I don't think it's a reflection of him. I don't think you can play quarterback better than Josh Allen did last night and not win and be 1-5 in five and all these playoff games and all the stats, everyone, right? So it becomes a quarterback-driven narrative, and that's the, the good and the bad. You win a couple Super Bowls and you don't do anything as a quarterback, you're a Super Bowl winning quarterback. <laughs> you carry the team on your back and you play out of your mind like Josh did last night and you lose, you're a loser. It's just the nature of the position. But to answer your question, I think him under center, him play action game, the, pro- the, the processing gets picked up as a byproduct of the system. Right? You're not sitting up there in shotgun five wide, four wide, reading half field safeties, reading all right, if it's single high, you go boundary. If it's cover two you go feel ask philadelphia how hard that is mm-hmm. ask Phil, watch, go back and remember what that looked like with J- jalen hurts a heck of a player people teams would cut their arms off for him to be their quarterback they got talent all over the place they sat in shotgun against tampa the other night and were sitting ducks mm-hmm. they, could, they, they couldn't operate and that was really the nature of the back half of the season it is very hard to play the way patrick mahomes out of the gun and jalen hurts and those guys it's just very hard you got to have everything right so Get him under center, move him, half boot, deep shot. He's got a great arm. If it's not there, he can run. He can be – I think that style of play is what suits a guy like Justin. And I think it would – if they do decide to keep him, I think that's the way. You have to maximize every ounce of him. And to me, that gives you your best shot, especially as the offensive line continues to 
you know, hopefully they can improve. Greg Olson joining us. It's Waddle and Sylvie on ESPN 1000. All right, so we were talking about you in the pre-show fist fight. You know the way we feel about you. We think you're the best analyst on television. We find you dreamy. Yes, that too, right. And you do really <laughs> good commercials these days as well. Yes. And, and I brought up that I, th- like, that I think that you should tell Brady to just, like, hey, bro, like, you've got it all already. Like, how about you just go away? And then Danny Zetterman brought up that he wanted to know if you even have Brady's number. And I said, of course you have Brady's number. So we made a bet, first of all. Do, can you text Tom Brady if you wanted to? Do you have Tom Brady's number? All right, so it's kind of a mixed answer. So I did have Brady's number. We had we had gotten in touch years ago, you know, my, towards my end of my career in Carolina. We had touched base, and, you know, that was on his exit from Tampa, and I had been released earlier, you know, in the month from, from Carolina. And, you know, just trying to see, you know, where was he going to end up. And the free agencies didn't match up, and obviously he ended up in Tampa. I ended up in Seattle, and that was that. We had traded texts over the last – the last time I texted him, probably a little over a year ago, whenever it was, it was one of those like where it now is green. So, it, you know, so it, it looks like maybe he has a difference. So I, I have not talked to Tom to answer your question through all of this. Um, obviously, you know, ev- as everyone in the sports world, the amount of, you know, the respect and understanding that he's the best of all time. And, you know, that I don't know if it's debatable at this point. Like, you know, everything he's done, everything he's been about, what he's accomplished, he'll, you know, I don't know if it'll ever be matched. So my respect for him and all that is, is never going to change. I understand the situation. I understand you know him looming over the the job and from the very from the moment I took it I knew that that would come with the territory and I was okay with that I was confident in myself that I could take advantage of this opportunity for as long as it lasted we went into it thinking it would be one year ended up being two years so I got twice as much we'll see we'll see if there's a third so we'll see what happens but uh but so I guess I don't know how you want to classify that. I, I was going to say, I is don't. that a win? I think that's still a win. I, say I don't. Oh, so he says he don't now, so, but you did. And Tom probably changes his number quite frequently. I don't yeah, know so that to I, be true. You guys can decide. How, that might be one of those pushes, like where they okay. where the where the uh, where they take it off the board. You know, okay. they take the right. they prop that off the board. Yeah. All right. So we'll, we'll figure that out. So it, if if he does decide that he wants to do this for you. Will you just then uh, become on? Will you be on Fox's second team, or will you pursue free agency? You know the the thing about this job is there's only so many seats. You know there's there's not an endless supply of top jobs. There's a reason they're so highly sought after, and there's a reason certain guys occupy them. So you know the the reality is you really only have the opportunities of what's out there, and I think that's what was so unique about Kevin and I getting this shot to replace Joe and Troy I don't think when 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 I signed with Fox you know three years ago you know obviously the aspirations and and the the confidence was yes I'll I can rise to that top I I think I can do this at a high level and Fox has always been great giving me those opportunities and allowing me to climb and then you know when when Joe and Troy left it created an opening that maybe people didn't anticipate you know maybe just a year or two before so you just never know what's out there you never know how the musical chairs die down and um you know, that's all the stuff that we're going to figure out this offseason. And my goal is to call the best games at the highest level as long as I can. And, and that'll never, that, was my, that was my goal when I came into it three years ago, and that remains my goal now after doing it for two years and calling a Super Bowl and calling some of the highest-rated games in NFL history over the last two years. So 
that's my goal, and we'll see how the rest all shakes out. It's kind of out of my control. Have you ever considered uh, doing an in-studio show as well, or is your heart and your soul with calling games? You know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. The, the advantage of calling the games is being good is the great is the great differentiator. I think studio stuff is fun. It's 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 a little bit different. You know, you, you see the guys sitting in those seats, and they're all wearing gold jackets and their resumes and you know it, it's a little bit of a different animal for now who, when you start talking about who gets those seats and those opportunities it's just you know there's only one howie long right? right there's only one you know terry bradshaw and michael strahan and those guys are all-time nfl legends and they're sitting at that seat for a reason because they're 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 you know they're iconic in the world of nfl football and for someone like myself my, my ability to compete with people who maybe have a better resume or maybe wear gold jackets is calling games mm-hmm. It's not for everybody, right? It is, it, it's challenging. It's fun. It's a lot of work during the week. It's a lot of prep. And then when that game unfolds, you're following a live sporting event for three hours with 40 million people telling you that you're either good or bad by the minute. <laughs> so it, it, I enjoy that part of it. I, I enjoy the rush of live games in stadiums, in live audiences. And um, my, my I, I would never say no to anything, but my, I think my love and, and, desire to pursue this right now is calling games but you know obviously if one of those seats ever became available you'd be crazy not to look into it speaking of animals uh, i don't know if you heard this if you were back and sitting on your couch watching with your kids yesterday this was romo yesterday during a um josh allen touchdown in the corner i don't know if you caught this little phrase take a listen to this but this is a dime not a donkey so he said, this is a dime, not a donkey. I don't know if you've heard of that phrase. Does that make any sense? Does that make any sense to you? <laughs> I don't. I, I'm not like the the hippest guy. Like my kids make fun of me. I'm not up on like the phrases and the trends. I, I'm, a, I'm always kind of a little behind the eight ball. I, I, don't, I don't know. That. <laughs> so, I, I don't know if that's like a common phrase. Um, none of us, none of us, none of us, so we think that it was his buddies telling him to use donkey in a phrase. So we think he was using alliteration with dime. Oh, there you go. So we, I don't hate that. So we want you to use one of our phrases. In the NFC title game. In the NFC yeah. title. This yeah. could be okay. your last, this is your last, could be your last one as the number one. So it's like the what the blank game. So let's just, right. let, let's throw something out there. Yeah. What do you what think? What are we thinking? That's not a, uh, I don't know, that's not a pass, that's a platypus. I, I can't, yes, you know, the, like some we're gonna stay, we're gonna stay with. We're going to stay with animals. Yes, like okay. I think we troll Romo a little yes, bit. let's troll Romo. Because, like, right. you're much better than Romo yes, anyway. let's troll the hell out of well, it. What did you say, Meller, about the aardvark? What was yours? Well, we were just uh, spitballing, and we were thinking, Greg, maybe that's an arrow, not an aardvark. Okay, okay. Or maybe that's... Yeah, I think we got to work. I think yeah. we got to workshop it a yeah. little bit. Yeah, we're yeah. just we'll spitballing here. here. Yeah. We got, I think we're spitballing right now, which is never a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> I maybe. think we just got to we got to workshop it a little bit and fine-tune, but I, I think your philosophy... I, his buddies all home are, like, ripping shots or yeah. shotgun and beaters. Yes. Like, yes. He made a deal on the eighth hole of, you know, of the course the other day and said, I can get donkey in. Yes. They all said no. So I don't hate that... that idea and if he did more power to him what that's about, pretty well done what about he was, well how about something like waddling like a duck and that way like oh. waddle gets oh. the shout out like it, he like waddled into the back of the end zone like a duck wow. and well then, there's a jalen waddle in the league right now right so. but it's not the dolphins that's game, true so. right but i think that way everyone's satisfied
Wow. If I got Waddle's name into the broadcast, yeah. you'd have to put me like into your Hall of Fame or something. You may have to adopt you're me. Already your already fourth child. Well, you're, you're, you're going into the first class of the Hall That's of right. Fame. What are you talking well, yeah, about? Fair, 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 fair. Yes, fair. you're already in. <laughs> We're, we're gonna we'll, we'll we'll chew on this for the week and we'll okay, see what we can pull off. And by the way, please don't let what is his was his nickname, little baby KK. Don't let him in on it. What is what is Burkhart's <laughs> nickname in the commercial? Yeah, little baby KK. So yeah, don't let little baby, baby KK, KK yeah, know about him. it. Don't don't tell him. I'm gonna say it. He's gonna look at me yes. like, "Are you yeah. joking?" Yeah. And, and then you look at him, you Greg, and then Romo. Yeah, you look at him and you go, hey, enjoy Tom Brady next year yeah, because yeah. he's not going to be funny like <laughs> yeah, this. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. Fair. Okay. Fair. Hey, awesome. you're the best. Uh, we appreciate you. We appreciate your time. Yes. And uh, keep doing great work, okay? Thank you, Greg. Uh, yeah, I appreciate you guys. Thanks. It's always fun. Talk, talk to you guys soon. You got it. There he is. Greg Olson, former Bears uh, tight end, a guy they never should have traded. Whether it was Angelo's fault or um, Mike Martz, whoever the there's hell no it was. There's no way he's We've, stooping to our level no, and going there, this there's route. There's no chance. No chance. No. There's no chance. He was just humoring like, us because he's such a nice guy. He didn't want to say, you guys are idiots. There's yeah. no chance I'm going to do that. would do it. Yeah. But that's like on the fourth team, right, right with yes. Adam Amin. Yes. Yeah. Then, then he's calling Adam Carolina right. games. Yeah, you know, the Bears in Carolina. Yeah. Right. Right. No, no, no offense meant to yeah. stink no. or Adam Amin. No. But Greg's getting NFC title work. Can you imagine? They're like... Yeah, there's no chance you're getting the number one booth next year. Yeah. Even if Brady was saying no, oh, with you doing that was a piss missile. I can't believe that they <laughs> found the receiver. That's what we should have said. Yeah. Can you work in piss missile? That's Carm's. I've never, I never heard that phrase or that term until it, it, Carm said a, it like three well, months ago. It's a good one. It's really good. I think that Greg is always he's a good sport about not only all that, that but like he always says stuff that is compelling and thought provoking like when he said to you there's only one offense there's only one offense like if he was going to install yeah, yeah. something there's only one offense I thought it was really I thought it was compelling conversation about how Yes, I mean, if, if you brought in someone like Shane Waldron and you're running this style, you put Justin under center, you do use a lot of the boot game, and you you know you you do play action and stuff. I just think he's a really compelling listen. I really do. Uh, I have a question about that for you later, though, about like how how many of them being run is too many, um, and, and I'll, I'll I'll ask you that for later. But I know we've got Waddle's World uh, coming up. Three one two three three two three seven seven six. Yeah, and I thought uh, we got to replay that too about the Waldron offense. I thought it was good. The Bears did hire Shane Waldron, um, or at least they are in the process of making. They haven't released it, have they? Where they've made it official? Have they made it official no, they yet? Haven't said anything? Yeah, so. they have not made it official. But that's what's being reported all over. Courtney Cronin had that early this morning too. Heard her on uh, Cap and Jay Hood. Let's uh, let's get to Waddle's world. This is Waddle's world. And in Chicago, Tom Waddle. He can't run. He's not fast, but he gets open. Bears legend. Amazing. Nine career TDs in the NFL. He caught everything that was thrown and took every hit that they could give him. Tom Waddle. Are you not entertained? It's time to find out what's on Tom's mind. Is that why you are here? As we go inside Waddle's World. Let's do it. Waddle's World is brought to you by our great friends and partners at Wintrust Community Banks. They are Chicago's banks to find your nearest Wintrust Community Bank. 
Visit Wintrust.com slash find us member FDIC. Some information or some uh, some news about a couple of issues that I think is very important. First of all, the 49ers, according to Adam Schefter, Adam Schefter, say that uh, he says the 49ers consider it 50-50 as to whether wide receiver Debo Samuel will be able to play in Sunday night's NFC Championship game against the Lions due to the shoulder injury that he suffered against the Packers. I think that that, that Greg and, and little baby KK did a really good job pointing out that, that of all of the different key pieces to that offense, maybe that Debo Samuel is the one thing that kind of gives them some identity, and missing him was definitely apparent. There was no doubt that that offense oh, for sure. runs differently without a Debo Samuel in the huddle. Especially in the rain, yeah. uh, missing him. Um, There's no doubt either that the elements bother oh, Brock yeah. Purdy. Well, I think it bothers most, but yes, Purdy a Some lot. Some more than yes, others, yes. for sure. And then what, what, what was, I think we were taught in our text chain, someone brought up the fact during one of the plays, even when he had the ball in his hands, he... He looked to wipe off his throwing hand. He took the ball from his throwing hand, dropped back, holding it in his left hand, wiped his hand on his backside to dry off his hand, and then went back to two hands on the ball. Have you ever seen that before? Uh, I haven't, but I'm sure it's happened before. He had the glove on, I think, early in the game, too. I think on the first drive, he wore the glove, and then he took it off. But He's got small hands like me, doesn't he? I I don't think he's got huge hands. I think, too, I was wondering, it was one of my... One of the questions that I thought was most most obvious and most important was how would he perform in that game? Like, coming off of the last big game he played in was the Baltimore game, right? And it didn't go well. Mm-mm. For a young player in a very pressurized environment, now the weather situation is part of the equation, how would he perform? And he really struggled for a good part of that game. The final drive, I thought, was was fantastic what was it 12 plays 69 yards he was six for seven on that touchdown drive uh but i just i thought he was shaky most of the game and as you know as greg said i i think most of us sat and watched that game and felt for the first 45 minutes the packers were the better team i i, I was scared blankless i was out to dinner where greenwood and uh on the border of highland park and highwood uh in front of a television i was scared blankless i thought i thought the packers were winning that game yeah I, well, they had control of it. What was it? Was it a uh, was it a ten point lead in the third quarter at some point? Uh, either way, uh, and then Jordan Love had a couple shaky interceptions. The one he had earlier in the game, the, the last play of the game. I I don't know why he decided to do that. <laughs> I mean, it was a first down throw, right? So they still had time. Yeah, it and was he panicked. A, yeah, went crossbody. Yeah, that was that was a throw we saw him make probably in week five. Not something we'd seen him, you know, attempt in the last seven, eight, nine games, but but it was a good game. They were all, and then the the, the comp of the Favre throw, yeah, was, was, wasn't it the exact throw of Favre with the Vikings? I think so against think right. the Saints. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, anyway, the uh, injury report on Debo brought to you by Costa Ivoni Personal Injury Lawyers. I thought this was interesting as well. The Lions have reached a deal with veteran tight end Zach Ertz. Uh, I believe. Why? They, well, I believe uh, Brock Wright, one of their other tight ends, a guy that had the thirty-yard catch on a very Great well-designed scheme. third down play, uh, suffered a, a forearm injury in that game. So he said it didn't look. Dan Campbell said it didn't look good for his availability for the mm-hmm. NFC title game. So they went out and they signed Zacherts to their practice squad with the thought that 
by the time he'll get up to speed by Sunday, then he'll probably be elevated to the big roster. So, uh, but yeah, what a great play that was with Brock Wright. Was that third down or fourth down? It was I third down, third right? down, yes. I'm yes. telling you, I thought, and I mean, I will mention it in the good, the bad, and, and the dirty, but I thought Ben Johnson had as, good a ga- had as good a weekend as anybody in the National Football League and how they approached attacking the Tampa Bay defense. The only, it was spectacular. The, the only time I got nervous was I texted you guys this. Was it the goal line when they had first and goal yeah. and they decided to pass it, I believe, on first, second, and third downs. And then they finally ran it in on a fourth down play. But it got a little bit like he had such a good drive to get them there. And it may have been on that that same drive where they, they had that schemed pass to the tight end, the blocking tight end. Yeah, right. But. But like there were there were a couple times where I thought it, it could have been a little bit easier, yeah. like on that first two. They play. are man. They just they 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 like in in we saw that in their first playoff game. Who did they beat? Who did they beat in the first playoff game? The Rams. And then you saw it yesterday too, as they were putting the Bucks trying to put the Bucks away. When just when you think they're going to run it and and manage the clock, no, they, no, they stay they throw, aggressive they to throw. Yeah, yeah, and I, it's fun to watch. Um, maybe maybe if some of the stuff hadn't worked, people would have been overly critical. But I like their approach, and I thought his game plan was great. Ron Rivera is set to interview for the Eagles' defensive coordinator job. Uh, he coached Desai, there before. Yeah, uh, Nick Sirianni uh, fired Sean Desai earlier. Uh, so we'll see. And I and I think we talked about it last week. Ron Rivera was very much open to being a D, uh, DC once again. So that looks like that's going to happen. The Harbaugh's and the uh, Harbaugh and the Chargers are expected to meet again this week. Are they going to let him out of the building, or is he going there to solidify the deal? I would hope so. Uh, I, I would think so. I wonder. I, I wonder what Jim's plan is in terms of any type of suggestion for for general manager because you know when he comes in he's going to have a voice in the room. Sure, sure. Not just as the coach but in personnel issues as well. So I wonder if that's part of the conversation too. And it's going to cost whoever and I'm assuming it's going to be the Chargers a giant bag of money. Yes, are the giant are, are the Chargers willing to to fess up a giant bag of money? Well, it's worth it. Something they haven't been willing to do in the past. Do you think Baltimore's happy with John? I would think so. I would think so. The Falcons are also scheduling a second interview with Harbaugh. So maybe, you know, to your point, if you're the Chargers, right, don't, don't let, let him out. go to Atlanta. Don't, don't let him out. Yeah, I find it at this point, I find it at, at this stage, I find it very hard to believe that Jim Harbaugh would be going back to Michigan in any way, shape, or form. So uh, for all you college basketball fans... Uh, DePaul has fired coach Tony Stubblefield after the 3-15 and 15 start. There's no surprise there, right? And, and no, and they, they just can't recapture any sort of glory, and, and they should. Like, they should be they should be at least a decent team. Was this, I mean, this was a good hire when they hired him, right, from Oregon, well, it was, Tyler? It was a solid hire. I mean, he's he was from Dana Altman, and Dana right. Altman had success, gone to Final Fours and all that, but... I mean, this job is hard. This job is really hard. I reminded you, and I'm going to Duke this weekend for my first Duke game. They had a, t- a chance at one time where John Shire really wanted the job. And they interviewed him, and they turned him down. Yes. They, tu- they turned John Shire down. Mm-hmm. But here's the thing. John Shire, how long would he have been there? Oh, no, and, and it's it's probably the best thing for him, too. But again, 
he's a, a, a kid who knows the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, he played here, um, would have hustled his you-know-what off, and, and maybe he would have been uh, a guy that w- the job would have eaten him alive. But I would have liked to see how that would have gone more so than an assistant under Dana Altman who came from Oregon. Well, I, I always thought that Tony Stubblefield would have a chance here because he was one of the primary guys that recruited in Canada and had a lot of success doing that. And I think it would probably be easier to get guys to go from Toronto to Chicago as opposed to Toronto to uh, Eugene, Oregon back in the, back when they hired uh, Tony Stubblefield. But I agree, like Shire would have been the guy that you would have wanted here to at least try to build something. But now I think that it, everything has jumped. Like DePaul, I don't see becoming a great program ever again mm. because of the fact that NIL in this city is nothing. Like if you're a company... Why are you going to go in and throw money at a college kid? Because you can spend the money. Because you can spend it on a Bears player, yeah. a Bulls player, a Cubs player, a White Sox player, a Blackhawks player. Uh, That's amazing. Like, to think, would, yeah, you're right. Why would you spend the money on a DePaul basketball player? Would they ever downgrade in conference? Like, would they ever join like a... No, a, the TV a, money's too good. Too good? I'd imagine. Boy. Because they should be in a conference like the Valley. Yeah. You know, that's, that's where they belong. Yeah, it, it really is where they belong. But at this point, like, the toothpaste is out of the tube. There's yeah. no way that they're going down. Speaking of your trip this weekend, are the boys excited to go watch? Thrilled. Yeah. They can't wait. I can't wait. Like, it's a, I've never been to Cameron Indoor. I, I, I don't even, I can't picture what it's going to be like. Everyone that I've talked to who's been there says... It's like Augusta. You, you think it's going to be this brilliant, and then it exceeds expectations. I've heard that about this, and I've also heard it's so so much smaller Small. than you could ever yeah. imagine. We're staying on campus, too, and um, we're going to get a tour, by the way. I, I, I shouldn't tell Shire this. Uh, we're going to get a, a, a tour of UNC. Oh, traitor! Did the dean go. Traitor! Well, look, we're, we're there, and it's just a few miles away. How could we not? I don't know when we're, we're ever going to be back. I haven't been to Cameron, but I have been to the Dean Dome, and that is maybe my favorite basketball arena I've ever been in. Have you it's ever just, been? To, you can feel the history. Have you ever been to Hickle Fieldhouse? No, but that's another one that I really want to go to. I was to. down there for a Butler football game. My nephew Jack was playing down there, so we walked in, and you couldn't get in to the actual arena, like inside the arena, because they were they had basketball practice that day as well. Why don't we go when we go to the combine? We're going to the we, combine, by the way. Yes, yeah, so definitely official. go by and, and look at it. there. But it is really cool. You could see through, like, gates and stuff. What a cool atmosphere it looked like. It was really, really cool. But definitely, oh, I'm, I'm definitely in for, for it, taking that Duke tour. Clemson is the game. It's a Saturday after, Saturday's game, afternoon game. That's a good game, too. Clemson's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, and some sobering news today as well. Cubs Hall of Famer Ryan Sandberg has been diagnosed with cancer. Um I believe this is from Jesse Rogers, our buddy Jesse's article. Hall of Fame second baseman Ryan Sandberg, who played 15 seasons with the Cubs, announced on Instagram today that he's been diagnosed with uh, metastatic prostate cancer and has begun treatment. Uh, he issued a, in his post, he issued a statement in his post to my Chicago Cubs National Baseball Hall of Fame extended baseball family, the city of Chicago, and all of my loyal fans. I want to share some personal news. Last week I learned that I had been diagnosed with metastatic prostate cancer. I've begun treatment, and I am surrounded by my loving wife, Margaret, our incredibly supportive family, the best medical care team, 
and our dear fans. We will continue to be positive, strong, and fight to beat this. Please keep us in your thoughts and prayers during this difficult time for me and my family. And I know we joke about the Sandberg game all the time, but as I've told you in the past, one of the nicest guys I've met, one of the coolest guys around, and obviously he is in our thoughts, and we are pulling for him. And and hope to be talking to Rhino cancer free sooner rather than Yeah, and, and when we the next time we have him on, he'll do a curtain call because he beat cancer. Yeah. And there's no doubt in my mind that he will. And I've always said it that whenever you're diagnosed, people always tell you this that you have an army behind you and you don't understand it when you're in the thick of the battle. What does that mean? You have an army behind it. Then you you hear from people and you 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 hear from people who are survivors. And then you just feel it, and you feel the positivity, and 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 you just can't imagine. You can't put it into words. And Rhino has now an army behind him, um, and 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 he will feel it. And again, uh, he seems to have a great mindset, and he will be cancer free. And it, it's tough in the moment, but one day at a time. And, and he will come away from this uh, better than ever. Amen to that. So, again, we are all thinking about Rhino and his family. And uh, like you said, we can't wait to celebrate him being cancer-free sooner rather than later. All right. Uh, we uh, shift gears and get to some other stories. You guys have to, when we come back from this break, we are taking a break, right? When we come back, you guys have to clear something up for me because there is something that is going on that's kind of a just a craze right now and i don't know really anything about it and i need you guys to fill me in that's listen to us now live on the espn chicago app listen to the show in hd at 100.3 hd2 fm listen now on espn 1000 this is waddle and sylvie espn chicago chicago's home for sports uh, a little bit of local kid news for you. Uh, by local kid, I mean uh, this young man went to Lake Forest High School, then went to Notre Dame. Tommy Reese, who was the offensive coordinator at Alabama this year, uh, looks like he is going to hook up with the Cleveland Browns as their tight end coach and possibly help with their passing game. Uh, that is according to some of the folks in Cleveland. Obviously, the Alabama coaching staff has turned over. Tommy was, a, it was his first year there as the OC, right? So it looks Mm -hmm. like he may be making the move to the NFL. All right, this is the question I have for you guys. And I don't think anybody, I don't think anybody that I saw or talked to had any thought about this. You guys realize that the Tampa Bay Buccaneers went home, went to Tampa with one timeout left, right? Oh, yeah. They had a timeout left. And again, I get it. It would have been... The third and 12 with 34 seconds left on the Tampa Bay 30. Jared Goff takes a knee. And they just let the clock run out with about 30 seconds left. Instead of calling a timeout, Todd Bowles and forcing them to either run a play or to kick a field goal, whatever it is. You could block a field goal. Or if you stop them, the clock stops, you get the ball back. There was a one-score so game. So what ha- Why? I don't know. Was he? Was he? Asked nobody about this? talked about it either because once the thing, they just let it run out. Nobody on the broadcast was saying, "Why the hell is Tampa Bay going to go back to Tampa with a timeout in their pocket?" Stuff happens too. I, yes. I didn't. I didn't notice it because I just assumed the game was over. No, it was after the. 
You Go know ahead. what was worse? I thought the Green Bay one was worse. They had two, and it was raining out. What happens yeah. if you get a fumbled snap or something? Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm I'm with you. But, like, was anybody else thinking the same thing? I'm sitting and watching. Now, again, I also got the Bucks plus six and a half. Okay, so I'm I'm paying attention to it in a different manner in which anybody else is. And when they went for two, which mathematically is the right yeah. thing to do, and statistically for me as a gambler is what I wanted to see, I didn't want to see them throw the low the percentage. Low, low percentage, you know, fade route, even to a Hall of Famer like Mike Evans or a potential Hall of Famer, throw the stop fade, throw the, you know, throw the back shoulder fade. Don't throw the fade fade for the love of everything good and pure. But then at the end of the game, am I wrong? So none of you guys were, like, watching the game going, why the hell aren't they calling time out here? They got one left. I've seen stranger things happen. Maybe not stranger things. I wasn't focused at the end on it just because I... You'd moved on. I'd moved on, and I thought it was over. But you you brought this up to me, and it makes all the sense in the world. You brought it up to the group. Carmen said that Viking Scott had texted him about it, too. Yeah, I, I mean, like... This is win and go home, guys. Are they bringing this up in Tampa? I don't know. I would hope so. I would think so. I, I'm with you, Sylvia. I had kind of moved on. I was kind of prepping for the next game because it seemed like it what was over. Prepping for the next yeah, game. Yeah, put the doing? pizza in the oven. Just actually at that point. Were you putting notes together? So no, I was actually cooking up, no, cooking up some chicken for oh, the yeah, fam. That's, what, so. that's exactly right. Okay. So Bowles was asked about it, and he said there was no sense in prolonging the obvious. But that, well, it's, that's even, unacceptable. <laughs> even if it's 0.5%. Yes. Even if it's 1 in 200. You force them to take the knee again, okay? Yes. Or if they can, try to, to kick a field happens. goal, you blocked a field goal, you could run it back. Stuff happens. That's not an acceptable response. He's done a nice job, but I will he tell has. you, looking at Todd Bowles on the sideline oh, does not. He's, he's got some faces, doesn't yeah, he? He does not inspire a whole lot of confidence if he's your head coach. All right, let's, let's talk about some of the other games. So the Bears did, uh, they're going to name Shane Waldron officially as their OC. If you want to weigh in on that, we'll take your calls. I'd like to talk about some games. uh, And and specifically, there's one NFL analyst who believes that people aren't calling out Josh Allen enough for, quote, not being able to win the big one. This, This brought out a reaction to me while I was watching it. It made me quite angry. Um, how do you guys feel about this? 312-332-3776. I want to talk about the game. Buffalo Bill over here. I am. <laughs> Buffalo Bill. We should bring that back, too. It's all coming up next.